Well, guys, we've kind of started a series last week about Jesus being our prophet, our priest, and our king. And last week we talked about Jesus being our prophet, and that a prophet was a person who revealed God to others. Uh, prophets were driven not by their own words, but driven by the word of God, that they were uh, the ones that, that God spoke a message to, and then they revealed that message uh, to the people. And, uh, and we said last week that a prophet represented God to the people, while a priest represents the people to God. And so today we kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the fact that Jesus is our, our high priest. Uh, while a prophet is a revealer, the priest is the redeemer. He is the one that comes to bring us back to God, to purchase us in our sin and to pay the debt that we owed. Um, Jesus is our high priest, the Bible says, and he comes not as a high-powered attorney who's looking for some kind of a loophole to get us out of the mess that we are in. That's not what Jesus came to do. Please let that sink in. He is not some kind of high-powered attorney who's trying to pull strings to get you out of trouble. That's not what Jesus came to do. He's not here to manipulate the jury. He's not here pretending that we are innocent. A good attorney will tell you, never admit your guilt. That is terrible news spiritually. Okay, It may work in a courtroom. It will not work in the courtroom that we will stand in before the Lord. The best thing that we can do as human beings who have failed and fallen short is to come before our Father and beg for mercy and beg for His grace. And that only comes to those who are willing to admit their guilt and their sin. So Jesus is not some kind of a high-powered attorney. He is this high priest. He has come in the flesh to make a payment for us, to present an offering and a sacrifice to God for those who are guilty sinners. The, the pattern of the Old Testament is going to be seen fulfilled in Jesus, and we'll talk about that a lot today. Uh, I'm going to stay with you in the book of Hebrews today. We're going to be there for the, the whole message. But in the book of Hebrews, I, I would encourage you, man, just to sit down and let that book soak in. Just read through it again and again. Because what the, what the book of Hebrews is doing, it's a book written to the Jews who had invested fully in this Old Testament system, this Old Testament sacrificial system, the Old Testament law and, and what the, the book of Hebrews is trying to say to the Jews is you can't hold on to the old covenant and still embrace the new covenant. And there's no need to hold on to the old covenant because Jesus is the fulfillment of that new covenant. So Jesus comes as our high priest to present an offering and a sacrifice uh, for guilty sinners. And in order to understand kind of what the book of Hebrews is saying, we need to understand how the Old Testament worked. Uh, one author I read this week kind of put it into something that was simple that I could understand. And, and I'm not a complicated thinker. I'm, I like things to be boiled down to where I can understand them. And he said this. He says, in the Old Testament, what we see is God presenting pictures or shadows or types or, or, or things that would represent what is to come. And he likened it to this. He said, when you, when you have a newborn child uh, and, and you're beginning to instruct and teach, that child, you don't pull out the Encyclopedia Britannica and say, let's read the Encyclopedia. You may have flashcards with a picture of a ball on it, and you say to your child, ball, ball, or truck, or sun, or moon, or whatever the little image, the thing that you're trying to teach them, so that one day when they see a ball, they look at that ball and they say, ball. Or they look at the sun and say, sun. You, you show them a picture so that when they see the real thing, they can identify it and they can make sense of it. And, and so in the Old Testament, God has presented us with a whole bunch of pictures that are pointing forward to the real thing that is to come. 
he is pointing forward to this, this, this day that a Messiah will come and, and will be the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They're pointing forward with all this Old Testament imagery of something that is yet to come. It's not the reality itself. It's just a picture pointing forward to that. And so God gives us uh, pictures in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he sends the person. So in the Old Testament, we have the picture. But in the New Testament, we have this person. I'll give you some examples. In Genesis chapter 3, God's created. He's put Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and then Adam and Eve fall into sin. They, they rebel against God. They disobey God. And they go and they, they hide. Uh, they try to cover themselves with fig leaves because they realize that they are naked. And then they begin to blame one another. God comes in the garden and says, what's going on? And remember what man says? This woman that you gave me, God, she's to blame. And God turns to the woman and says, what do you got to say? And the woman says, that serpent that you put in the garden, he's to blame. And so they, 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 they run and they hide from the presence of God. They try to cover their shame and their guilt and their sin. And then they begin to blame other people. But the best part of that story is not what they did, it's what God did. In the midst of their sin and their hiding and their blaming, God pursues them. He comes looking for them. It's not that he doesn't know where they are. It's that he wants them back for himself. He wants to, to, to come pursue them just as God comes and pursues us in our sin and in our shame and in our hiding and in our blaming the whole world. God pursues us. And, and God tips his hat way back in Genesis 3 to what he has in store that's going to come and fix the mess that man's just created. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that the first thing Adam and Eve does is they try to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. How long do leaves last? <laughs> it's not going to be long before they're naked again. And so what does God do? God comes and he covers their nakedness with animal skins. But in order to get an animal skin, an animal has to die. Again, these are pictures of what's going to happen. That God will eventually come and cover our sin and cover our shame and cover all of that stuff. But he's, 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 he's temporarily doing it through an animal skin. And, and, and we fast forward to the Old Testament and we see that, that once Moses comes and Moses delivers the people and God begins to give them the Levitical law, that's going to involve the, the death of an animal to cover temporarily their sin and their shame and their nakedness. Old Testament pictures that are moving forward, telling a story about what is yet to come. They, they had a temporary covering that God provided, but that covering was never meant to be permanent. It was just a picture pointing forward to a permanent covering that would come through the Messiah, through Jesus. It's also a picture that only through death could our sin and our shame be reckoned and be dealt with. It's a picture pointing to a coming sacrifice where there would be slaughtered a perfect spotless lamb who would make a permanent payment, a permanent covering for our sin as we are now covered in the righteousness of Christ, our spotless lamb. Then God comes to Abraham, and God makes a, a promise to Abraham. 
He says to Abraham, Abraham, your seed. And, and, and Hebrews makes it very clear that, that when he says your seed, he's talking about not the, the, those that will come through the loins of Abraham, but that seed Jesus that's going to come and be that sacrifice for us. Through your seed, he says, all nations will be blessed. Meaning that this salvation that Jesus is going to bring, this covering of sin, is not just for the Jews, but it's for all nations and for all people who will repent and turn to Jesus. He's pointing forward to Jesus who would come and fulfill that prophecy. It's a picture and a promise that God's made. Abraham is told that his descendants will go into slavery and they will be there for hundreds of years. But that God would send a deliverer. Again, a picture of the fact that we are dead in our sin, that we are slaves to sin, and that we will be there until the Messiah delivers us. All these Old Testament pictures pointing forward to a New Testament reality that that just as as Abraham's promise, as Abraham's uh, offspring is going to be caught in slavery and not be able to escape on their own, that they're going to need a deliverer who will come and set them free. So you and I are born in our sin and we are dead. And we need someone who can deliver us, somebody from the outside that can come and set us free. Moses shows up, the pages of the Old Testament, and Moses becomes that deliverer that God sends. And not long after Moses gets the people out of Egypt, their hearts turn back to Egypt. Their hearts were not changed. Their bodies were delivered, but their hearts were still enslaved to sin. And Moses goes on the mountain to meet with God, and what do the people do? They turn immediately back to idols. And back to the things of this world. And they constantly complain, oh, if we were just back in Egypt, it might be hard and it might not be fun, but at least we'd have food. At least we'd be fine. And their hearts constantly want to run back to the old life instead of appreciating the new life that God had offered to them. And so these Old Testament pictures are pointing forward to to the New Testament reality of us that that even when we hear the gospel, sometimes we want to run back to our sin and run back to the old life and, and live in that slavery to sin when God offers us a freedom that that only he could could provide. God sets up a Levitical law, a sacrificial sense uh, system that will temporarily cover their sins, if you will. It reminds them of their sinfulness and reminds them of the need for a Savior and a, and a Messiah. And, and so the, 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 the Scripture says that, that the law would remind us of our sin, but it could not remove us from our sin. It's another picture that reminds us of the one who would come and the one who we would desperately need to be free. It's another picture of our need for that spotless lamb. These pictures that we're talking about, Scripture calls them sometimes signs or or shadows or copies. Or For the tabernacle, it was the the tent that was temporary, but it was a perfect reflection, an image of, a model of the, the heavenly temple that was set up. And so all these things we see in the New Testament that God's putting in place are not by mistake. It's not just by coincidence, but it's God setting up things in the Old Testament that are, that are pictures that we can look at so that when the real thing arrives, we go, oh, that's what that is. That's the purpose of the Old Testament, so that when the Messiah comes on scene, the, the, the people that have been studying about the coming of the Messiah and looking at the pictures go, that's him. Now, the problem is the Jews 
saw the pictures as the reality themselves. There's a big difference between the picture and the person. They may look a lot alike. Janet's been sending me pictures from Green Bay of of them in Lambeau Field and, and these gorgeous pictures of my wife. I tell you what, I'll take her over the picture any day. They look identical. It's kind of hard to hug a picture. You want the, the reality itself. The Jews were so caught up in their sacrificial system that they thought that was the fix. And God's saying that's the picture of what is to come. There is a, a priest coming. we got our own priest. No, but there is a priest that all these priests are pointing to. Just as Jesus was the prophet that all the other prophets pointed to, Jesus is the high priest that all the other priests were pointing to. He goes through the book of Hebrews and it tells us what the priests would do, that they would go in day after day and offer sacrifices for the people's sins. And they would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies and and, and offer sacrifice once a year. And and they would do all these rituals. And yet it says that, that all of their work, year after year after year, could not remove the sins. It could not clear the conscience of the people. All these signs and shadows and copies and tents that are here in the Old Testament are pointing forward to the reality themselves in the New Testament. And then Jesus shows up in the New Testament. God's design was you look at the picture long enough, when the reality comes, you're going to go, oh, that's it, and we're going to follow. But Jesus arrives not as a picture, but as the person who is the fulfillment of the promise that God has made. John the Baptist sees him, and the Holy Spirit opens John the Baptist's eyes and its understanding. And John the Baptist is the one that says, look, there is the Lamb of God. Jews would know exactly what he's talking about. Every year they were required to offer that lamb, that spotless lamb that would cover the sins of the people. John says, there's the real lamb. You've got the picture. Here's the real deal. The real lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is this high priest that all the other high priests and all of their work for all of those years is pointing forward to. Their position and their work and their calling all pointed forward to this one who would be called, who would be appointed by God to represent the people to God. To intercede on behalf of the people before God. To offer the the offerings and the sacrifices required to, to, to meet the requirements that God had established. And so Jesus comes to fulfill that, not as a picture, but as the person in the flesh. He didn't come to remind us of our sin. He came to remove our sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, I want us to begin looking at the word here together in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. I hope you got your Bibles with you. Let's start in verse 16. It says, for surely it's not angels that that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. This was a promise made to Abraham. Therefore, Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This is why Jesus took on flesh and blood. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that's atonement or payment, for the sins of the people. Here in Hebrews it says he became flesh and blood. He did so to become this merciful and faithful high priest. All of this rich Jewish language 
would have struck a chord with the readers of that day. They desired mercy. They didn't get much from their high priest. They, they needed faithfulness, and yet their high priests were just as corrupt and as sinful as they were. And yet here is a Messiah that's going to show up who's going to be merciful, who's going to be faithful, spotless. And he's going to serve as the high priest who outdoes every other high priest. The high priest that every other high priest has pointed to. And he does so, he comes in the service of God, to represent the people, to make this propitiation of big fancy word that means the payment for our sins. Jesus came to bear our sins, Scripture says, in his body on that tree. That's the reason that Jesus came. But we have to ask the question, why in the world was that necessary? Why wasn't the Old Testament sacrificial system enough? Because again, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture pointing forward to the reality that had to come. God's perfection that he wanted and and, and what he demanded of us could not be met by our Old Old Testament sacrificial system. You say, well then, was it faulty? Did God design a faulty system? No. God designed it not to be the reality. God designed it to be the picture that pointed toward the reality. So there's not a flaw in what they were doing. It was supposed to point them forward to it. And it did so. If, you, if, you, if We look back on it and go, man, it pictures it perfectly. People sin, there has to be a payment. The payment requires death. The, the death brings about blood, and the blood is sprinkled, and the blood is scattered, and the blood is applied. And all of those things are pictures of what Jesus was going to come and do. In Hebrews chapter 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews comes back and talks to us about why these, these Old Testament sacrifices were, were not enough. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. Let me just read this because the Word of God is more powerful than anything I can say. Listen to what he says. Now, if perfection, okay, and and, and, let me just say this. In the book of Hebrews, when it talks about perfection or being made perfect, it's talking about salvation, okay? Sometimes in Scripture, it talks about being made perfect and and, and being made mature, and that talks about being matured and, and growing in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, it's talking about salvation, So now if salvation or if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, through all those sacrifices, okay? If it had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, then what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? This priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to jump off into who Melchizedek was. He was a priest that showed up during Abraham's time. He blessed Abraham, and Abraham tithed to him, and, and, and they didn't know where he came from or where he went, and, and they just assumed he had no beginning and no end. And, and it was a picture again, a picture of Christ coming who had no beginning and who has no end, who is superior to Abraham, who, who deserves the, the allegiance of, of, of us, and who blesses us. So there's that picture even in Melchizedek, but, but we'll move on from that. He says this, he says, uh, why would we need another priest like Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? So here he's, he's comparing this order of Aaron, which is the Levitical priesthood. Now Aaron, through his lineage, was, were the Levites, and the Levites served as priests. So we've got the order of the Levites, who all the priests would come through Aaron's lineage. And he says, if those guys could present us saved before God, if their sacrifices and their systems could have done the job, then why do we need another one like Melchizedek, who had no beginning, who has no end, who is superior to all, and who blesses us? Why would we need somebody like that? It's a rhetorical question. And then he says this, for where there is a change in the priesthood, okay, from the Levitical priesthood 
to this new priesthood that Christ is instituting, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Here's what he's saying. That Levitical law is going to be set aside. And this law of grace, this law of forgiveness that comes through Christ, that's going to be instituted. He's going to later call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in the book of Hebrews. The old is is perishing. It's being set aside. It's dead. And now there is a new law, a new covenant that he is making. So he says here, when when the the priesthood changes, so does the, the law. For the one of whom these things are spoken, talking about Jesus, he belonged to another tribe. Now, here's the interesting thing. For Jews, and this was a hang-up for the Jews, Jesus was being proclaimed as their high priest. But all of their priests came through the tribe of Levi. Do you remember who Jesus came through? The tribe of Judah. Another stumbling block now for the the Jews. The, The one of whom these things is spoken of, Jesus, belonged to another tribe from which no one's ever served at the altar. That's why the Jews had a hang-up with this. You, you can't come from Judah and serve in the altar. And he says in verse 14, For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, not because he came through the lineage of Levi, but by the power of an indestructible life that he lives forever. For it's witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, um, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law, that Levitical law, made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's the hope of our salvation that comes through Jesus. So here's what he's saying. I know it's technical. And it's hard in in a quick time maybe to process all that. But here's what he's saying. All the priests have come through Aaron's lineage, through Levi, and they've served in the altar that's man-made. But there is an altar in heaven that's not made by the hands of man. And the priest that serves there doesn't come through the lineage of Levi and Aaron. He comes through the Father. He's born to Mary, which is the line of Judah. It's a different one. And, and again, that makes them scratch their head and wonder what it's doing. But he doesn't do it because of his bodily descent, he says in verse 18. He does it by the power, verse 16, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's how he is proclaimed. That's how he is put in position. So here he says that the perfection is required, yet it's not possible through this Levitical priesthood. A spotless lamb, a perfect priest was needed. See, when the Old Testament priests would go in to offer sacrifices, the first thing they had to do was offer a sacrifice for their own sins. They had to go in and, and present an offering to God and a sacrifice to God for their own sins so that they could be covered, and then they could present a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Jesus was sinless and perfect. He didn't need to offer sacrifice for himself. Every bit of his sacrifice that was offered was on our behalf, not his behalf. The, the, the book of Hebrews says the Old Testament priests would go in day after day after day, and yet what they did could not make man perfect. It could not save. But Jesus, on the other hand, makes a once and for all sacrifice, and he saves us eternally. So here's what the writer of Hebrews says in the book of Hebrews. Because Jesus is not the picture, but he's the person, 
the picture is no longer needed. I would say this to you this morning, and I, I, would, I would just about bet everything I own on this. I, I, I may not, but I'd come close. I bet you none of you have flashcards in your pocket reminding you what a ball looks like. Why? You don't need that anymore. You, you don't need a flashcard saying, train, this is a train, this is a ball, this is the moon, this is the sun. You, you don't carry those flashcards anymore. Why? Because you know what the real thing is. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that we don't, we don't have to have the Levitical system anymore. Why? Because there was a once and for all sacrifice made through Christ, your high priest, who, who, who fulfilled it. It's done. What these guys did could never make you perfect. That's why they had to do it again and again, day after day, year after year. Because if it made you perfect, there'd be no sense in them ever doing it again. If it could have saved you, you'd be saved and secure forever. But because you weren't and it couldn't, then we needed somebody that could. And that person is Jesus Christ. With the person here, there's no longer the need for the picture. There's a new covenant of grace that God has instituted. And it replaces that system that never could make us perfect. It replaces the old covenant of those sacrificial laws. Now, let me be clear on this, okay? The moral law, like the Old Testament Ten Commandments, those moral laws are still in place, and they are still there. They are representative of who God is and, and, and what God wants His people to be. Those things are still there. We're not saying we throw out the Ten Commandments. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying this Levitical stuff that, that, that temporarily covered our sins, that, that offered animal sacrifices to, to be able to, to, to make offerings to God, that is no longer necessary because that offering has been made in full. And not only was it made by Jesus, but it was accepted by the Father. And that's why we don't offer sacrifices anymore. That's why we don't ask you to bring in your favorite animal and let us kill it and shed the blood and sprinkle it on you. That's not needed. That's not necessary. That picture is, is no longer needed because the reality, the person, is here. The moral law, yes, it's still intact and it's still in force. But this Levitical law, this sacrificial law, is, is done away with. The final sacrifice was made when Jesus died. Look in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 11 through 14. It says, When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the one not made with hands, this is the, 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 the temple, if you will, in heaven, not the one that was on earth that was a picture of that, so this, through this greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Follow me. For if the blood of bulls and goats... And the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, set apart for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God? What's he saying? Christ came. He didn't enter that, that temple in Jerusalem. He entered the temple of heaven. 
He didn't take into the temple someone else's blood, the blood of of an animal or a goat or, or a heifer. Whose blood did he take? His blood. Grab a hold of this. Jesus didn't just offer a sacrifice. Jesus was our sacrifice. He's he's got flesh in the game. These priests in the Old Testament, it didn't cost them anything to make a sacrifice. You brought the animal, they slit the throat, they drained the blood, they made the sacrifice. No big cost. It's not that way with our high priest. Because he didn't just offer some sacrifice. He didn't just bring somebody else's blood. He was the sacrifice. It was his blood that purchased our salvation. You know what that means? He's invested in you and in me. He's got flesh in the game. He's not just a bystander watching going, yeah, okay, make a payment. He's the one that's paying it with his flesh and with his blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. He picks up again. He says, For when Christ entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are just copies of the true things, there's those pictures, okay? That, that, that temple in Jerusalem was just a picture of the real thing in heaven, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. What did the high priest do every year? He would go into the Holy of Holies. Why? To present himself and these sacrifices in the presence of God on our behalf, on, the, on behalf of the people. Well, Jesus did the same thing. Again, everything God required in the Old Testament was a picture of what Christ was going to do in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, they would make daily sacrifices, and then once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies and make this big sacrifice before God. And he says, just as they would go once a year, Jesus came once and for all. Just as they went into the presence of God, Jesus would enter into the heavenly presence of God. Not to offer the, the blood of bulls and goats, not into a temple that was made by hands, but a temple made by God. And he appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it offered to himself repeatedly as the high priest enters a holy place every year with blood that's not his own. For then Jesus would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. And get this, to put away sin, to remove it, not just to cover it, but to remove it by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is appointed to a man uh, to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those, to perfect those, to rescue those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys. 
Old Testament, again and again and again, kept repeating. Blood that wasn't their own, didn't cost them much. And now in the, in the New Testament, the reality is, here's God in the flesh. Who's not just offering a sacrifice, but who is the sacrifice. And he is offering himself to the Father on behalf of a sinful people who deserve to die. And he died, and he now lives in the presence of the Father. And he is coming again. Not to deal with sin, not to die for sin again, but to fully save all those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. I love to hear your pages of your Bible turning. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can, what? Never take away sins. What did Jesus do back in chapter 9? He took away the sins. These, these sacrifices in the Old Testament could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice, which was himself, for our sins, then he sat down at the right hand of God. you know why? Because his work of redemption of salvation, of sacrifice, that was finished. And he sits down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, that giving of himself, he is perfected, he is saved for all time, those who are being sanctified. Here we see Jesus doing once and for all what all those sacrifices of the Old Testament could not do. You say, why did God make them do that? Because he was, he was showing them the picture so that when the real deal arrived, they would go, that's the Savior I've been waiting for my whole life. What's ironic is the Jews who knew the Scriptures couldn't match the card with the reality. Couldn't match the picture to the person. That's only possible as the Holy Spirit illuminates our eyes and our hearts like we talked about last week. That's why we need to keep in balance that Jesus was a prophet and a priest. He is the revealer of the priest who was coming to save. We, we need all of these things kept in balance. It's not just one or the other. Not, well, I want Jesus to be my priest, but not my prophet. He's a prophet, he's a priest, and a king. He's the prophet who reveals, he's the priest who redeems, and he's the king who rules. And we've got to keep all those things together in balance. Because he came, and the only way that we know this, the only way that we are aware, the only way that we can look back and see that is because God, through the Holy Spirit, is opening our eyes to spiritual truth. It's why people can listen to a message like this and still walk away lost. Because if their eyes are not open, if their hearts are not open then they're like the children of Israel who, who, who may be delivered physically but never see spiritually. And of those people, the writer of Hebrews says again and again, I don't know how many times in Hebrews, that God said of them, they will never enter my rest. They'll never enter my salvation because their hearts are hard and they are rebellious and their eyes are closed. One place in Hebrews, he says, you're, you're dull of hearing. We need the Holy Spirit 
to, to work in us. We need Jesus to open our eyes, but we also need Jesus to be our propitiation, our Savior, our, 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 our uh, priest who goes and presents himself before the Lord. Back in Hebrews chapter 9, one more verse, he says this in 9.15. He says, therefore, because Jesus has done this, because he can purify our conscience from dead works, uh, he can allow us to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator, the, the go-between of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. All the sins that we've ever committed before we came to Christ and entered this new covenant are, are done away with. And he says here that, that there is an inheritance that is involved. And an inheritance, he goes on to say, an inheritance only becomes an inheritance when the person dies. If you've got your kids in your will, they do not become legal possessors of your property until your death. But here's what happened. When Jesus died, we became the inheritors of everything that was his. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We have a priest, guys, who didn't just offer blood. He offered his blood who didn't just offer a sacrifice, but became the sacrifice, who, who died and then gave us everything that was his. All the righteousness of Christ was, was given to us, was put on our account, was made available to us. That's the high priest that we have. So don't miss this. Jesus didn't just offer the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He didn't just offer the life of another. He offered his own life. He did what no other person could do in that he paid for our sins and then presented us acceptable before God. So Jesus had this earthly, priestly ministry. Come to this earth, lay down your life, shed your blood, set free your people. But just as Jesus had an earthly prophetic ministry, and we said last week he still has a heavenly prophetic ministry, Jesus also has an earthly priestly ministry, laying down his life, shedding his blood, making propitiation for our sins. But Scripture also says that he has a heavenly priestly ministry. And that is that he lives to make intercession for us. As our priest, he is now in the presence of the Father making intercession for us. For us, he is still serving as our high priest even today. Back in Hebrews chapter 7, it's a passage we studied last week in our small group uh, on Sunday night, but let me go back to this real quick with you. In, in 723, um, it says the former priests, talking about the Old Testament priests, were many in number. They had to be because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They would live and they would die, and somebody had to take their place. So there was many of them. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He lives forever. There's no need to replace him because he's not dead. He's not going to die. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, completely, at all times, he says, those who draw near to him, near to God, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So those that God saves through Jesus, Jesus now makes intercession for us before the Father. We talked about it in our, in our small group last week. That doesn't mean that, 
that, that God is, is trying to, to strike us dead and Jesus is standing in between trying to hold back the Father. It's not this picture of a parenting model where, where dad's angry with the kids and mom steps in and shields them. That's not the picture of intercession here. The picture of intercession is that Jesus knows our needs even before we know them. Why? Because he was flesh and blood just like us. And he was tempted in every way we were tempted, yet without sin. Jesus has gone through everything that we will go through. And Jesus anticipates that. And he is before the Father making intercession. He, he made provision for us for salvation while on earth. He's making provision for our sanctification right now before the Father. He is before the Father saying, Lord, they're going to need strength today. They're going to need self-control today. They're going to need wisdom today. They're going to need insight today. God, they're going to need, if, 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 they're going to be, if they're going to be sanctified and set apart and made everything you want to be, Lord, here's what they're going to need. And he's making intercession before the Father for all of our needs. Just as he stepped in and, and, and made provision for us for salvation, now he's before the throne of God making intercession for us for all the provisions that we're going to need to grow up and be godly and mature in Christ. That's what he's doing. And guess what the Father's doing? He's not going, ah, little boy, you're... The Father is joyfully, graciously granting every request the Son makes. He's not a miser holding back and the Son's having to twist his arm and and beg the Father to to let go. Jesus is saying, Father, here's what they're going to need. This is is my brother. This is my child. This is my son. This is what they need today. And the Father's saying, done, done, done. So Jesus is our high priest, not just while he's on earth, but he's our high priest now making intercession before the Father because he knows, Hebrews says it, he says that that, that he understands our weakness. He understands what sin is. He understands what temptation is. He understands what it means to suffer. and, And he even understands what it means to die. And he's anticipating that and he's before the throne asking the Father to provide everything we need for our sanctification and everything we will need for our future glorification. So he is provided for our salvation, he is providing for our sanctification, and he will provide for our glorification. That's the high priest that we have as believers in Christ. That's the high priest that God has given to us. Interceding that every need that we have be provided, and the Father is joyfully granting his every request. So what does that mean, and why does it matter that Jesus came to be our high priest? Here's a couple takeaways as we wrap it up today. Here's the first thing that means the most, I think, is that we don't have to work for our salvation. Jesus has done all the work. He purchased it with his own blood. And besides, there's nothing we could ever do that would bring it about. Just like those Old Testament, those Old Testament priests followed the letter of the law. They did exactly what had been required of them to create this perfect picture. They they did it and it still couldn't save and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's no offering that we could, we could make this big enough. There's no sacrifice pure enough. We don't have to work for our salvation. That's the first thing I'd remind you of. The second thing is this, that your sins have been covered. But only in Christ. Not by your works, not by anybody else's work, just by Christ. Our, our sins have been covered. They're not covered with fig leaves that are going to dry up and crumble they're not covered by animal skins that, that, that will wear out and need to be replaced. They're covered by the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Our sins are covered. You don't have to work for your salvation. Your sins have been covered. The third thing I would say is this, that a new covenant has been established. 
all through the book of Hebrews. I haven't been able to dive into all that this, this morning. But it talks about the old covenant being set aside and this new covenant coming. And it brings us into God's presence. It presents us in his presence as spotless. What the Old Testament sacrificial system could not do was to cleanse the conscience and remove the guilt. But the new covenant does all of that and more. It removes our guilt. It cleanses our conscience. And it saves us forever. Because in the new covenant, Jesus didn't just make the way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And it's only through him that we will ever come into the presence of God. All that time in the Old Testament, guys, all that time, there was a barrier between man and God, that curtain in the temple. But with Jesus' death, God tore that curtain from top to bottom. And he made a way. And the only way, Scripture says in Hebrews, the only way that we come into the presence of God is to come through Jesus Christ, who is that curtain, who was torn in two for us to make a way. He didn't just make the way, but he is the way. Because he didn't just offer a sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. And the fourth and final thing I would say is this. We are loved. Far more than we could ever deserve. That's what it means to have a high priest. One who came after you. One who pursued you. One who who spared no cost to save you. That's what it means that you have a high priest. You're loved far more than you could ever deserve. So the question that remains this morning is this. What are you going to do about that love? You say, it's nice to know. No big deal. I'll, I'll keep going to church and doing my thing and earning my way to heaven. And, and if I fall a little bit short, I'll let him, you know, put the icing on top. No. The message of the book of Hebrews is this. You can't hang on to your works and move forward with Jesus. It's, it's Jesus or nothing. So what are you going to do about this, this love, this gift? Will you accept it? And enjoy it forever? Or will you spurn it and try to earn it yourself? See, Jesus' love, his sacrifice, his high priestly role makes life possible. Through his death, life flows to us. This is great news. But great news also is accompanied by bad news. And here's the bad news. We are all slaves to sin, apart from Jesus. We do not stand a chance. There, God has made no other provision for salvation other than Jesus Christ. He, he's got pictures, but those are not provisions. The only provision for salvation is Jesus. And the message of the gospel is there's not coming any other provision. It, it's that it's, it's, it's Jesus or it's nothing. It's his life or it's your death. We're dead in our sin. We are hopelessly lost. And we have a debt that we cannot cover. But the good news is Jesus came. Flesh and blood. Both were required for our salvation. He lived a perfect life. 
He presented his body and his blood as our needed sacrifice. He paid our debt. And then he offers us his life. The inheritance of being with him forever. Being covered, our sins covered forever under his blanket of grace and mercy. But this life is only possible by coming to the Father through Christ. So today, if you've tried any other way of making yourself right with God, if you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to church every Sunday for a whole year, and, and surely that'll work. I'm going to listen to podcast after podcast after podcast of preachers. I, I'm going I'm to give my life in, in, in service to the world. I'm going to take a vow of poverty. I'm going to attend church every time the doors are open. I'm, I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to. If you're trying any other way, there is no other way. It's only possible by coming to the Father through Christ. So how do we get in on this offer? How do we get in on this deal? It's only by learning, and not, not, not just learning, but it's only by looking to Jesus Saying, Jesus, I believe that you really are the high priest that Rob's talked about this morning. I, I believe that the sacrifice you offered is enough to cover my sins. And I believe that I really am loved by you. Because nothing else can explain why you would come and why you would do what you did for me. And so by faith, we look to him and say, you know what, Jesus? If what you did is enough, then I'm going to trust that that's enough. And if what you did was for me, then I'm going to trust that you did that for me. And, 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 and God, I'm going to put my faith and my trust and all my eggs in that basket that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. Not Jesus plus something else, just Jesus. And if you've never done that, you, you may know about Jesus. You may have the picture, but do you have the person? Today I'm inviting you to meet the person, Jesus Christ. And to let him change forever who you are and where you spend eternity. Let's pray.